Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Roto World Football Show. I am Patrick Hardy, joined this fine Tuesday by Mr. Denny Carter. Denny, one reason we're recording on Tuesday is because I had uh, tonsillitis. You and you've had tonsillitis since uh, October 2021. Since the 60s, since the 1960s, <laughs> over 20 years before I was born. And and I, I told I told you before the show, like I don't think the audience would even like enjoy us joking about me being sick anymore. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's just too much. We're we're getting concerned emails. Like, are you sure? Like, maybe, maybe Pat Pat should look into this. Yeah, Pat looks like he's lost sixty pounds. Pat looks like he's gained sixty pounds. Um, Pat says yeah. he has, he keeps mentioning viruses I've never even heard of. Right. I'm pretty yep. sure Pat is sick, like sick, sick. So yeah, I'm saying that just in case my voice doesn't sound quite as robust. Your, your voice, your voice sounds 92 to 94 percent of its usual sound. That's what I was. It was usual resonance. Now, now the other day when we talked, it was down in the in the in the low 70 range. I would say, it's and and you didn't hear it over the weekend. It was in the 20s to 30s. Well, you know, so I figured I figured you were you were down bad. And, and you were hurting pretty good uh, because you were not uh, perpetually online. <laughs> and, and so, you know, that, and, that, and that's how we judge things uh, in this day and age, as the Zoomers say, is if people who are usually always online are not online, then they're probably in mortal danger. Yep. You know, right. like that, that's the only thing that could keep them off, off of the Internet. It was the perpetual fetal position. Uh, then I wasn't online. I was watching baseball all weekend. And I take it someone else on this podcast was. And this is another becoming a frequent topic of conversation. Whereas you have requested to talk about <laughs> baseball off the lead today because you have some thoughts on the rule changes, particularly what is known as the pitch clock, Denny. I am a, a an unabashed fan of the MLB pitch clock. Uh, New York Times had a piece today where the MLB dares to have fun with the with the uh, pitch clock. I, I, like I don't know. We're gonna. I'm gonna ask you your thoughts in a second because obviously you're a lifelong baseball fan, hardcore uh, uh, fan. So I, I get that as someone who has avoided the game at all costs for almost 20 years, I I feel roped back in a little bit. I will tell you that I was watching 
the San Diego Padres play the Colorado Rockies the other mm. night at 10.45 Eastern time. Wow. And it was because the game was going. It was moving. Uh, and those pitchers got the ball, and they did a little shuffle, and they delivered the pitch. And, and that was great. The, 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 the cadence and the tempo of the game is vastly improved. They should have done this. 50 years ago but apparently it's been on the rule books apparently the entire real quick by the way before i offer my thoughts i should mention what we're talking about today uh putting out my annual coach rankings article be live on the site tuesday evening denny's gonna grill me on it we're also gonna mention a certain patriots quarterback by the name of mccorkle uh but yeah to the pitch clock i mean i agree i mean uh, there's much more it's funny too though like a lot of pitchers already worked this way but it was so necessary to rein in the many, many who didn't. And the even bigger effect, I think, on like hitter, like a lot of pitchers actually liked pace. It was the hitters constantly yes. stepping out and like yes. adjusting their glove. And there's just nothing to romanticize there. Like clearly nothing has been lost like at all. Nothing. No. And I do agree with the one argument, like the big moments and big games later in the season, it's going to be like a little awkward where there's like no drama building at all. And there could be like a lot of anti-climax right. where it's like one of the biggest moments of the season and the guys that throw a pitch after eight seconds. Uh, there was our, there was a weird moment in the Cardinals uh, season opener. was happening where the hyped prospect Jordan Walker made his MLB debut. And since we're psycho St. Louis fans, we gave him a standing ovation. That's just like what you do. Wow. And he's getting a standing O. But like the ump didn't like step out or anything, so he oh, no. the standing out just gotten going. But like the the ump just like the pitcher just had to pitch, oh, boy. And so it cut short like kind of a special moment there. And there's gonna be like weird stuff like that. Yeah, there's I literally nothing that. being lost. Um, I could see I could see the 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 drama of a, a late October game where you know the the pitcher steps out, collects himself, the batter changes batting gloves fifteen times, and. And you know, gets a new pair of pants and and laces up. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it, drafted it, by a new team, right? That that uh, takes a, a thirty-four minute nap. That's that that kind of drama is. I can see you missing that, uh, but I will say that it's pretty cool to see a batter, uh, you know, take a ball and not step out and totally reset himself. He can't. He has to stay put, and that's great. Can I ask you real quick? Because I actually don't know the answer to this. I'm embarrassed. What is the punishment for violating the, the, the pitch clock? It's what you it's a, a strike for the batter or a ball for the pitcher. So if the batter's okay. not set by eight seconds, automatic strike. If the pitcher doesn't deliver by zero, automatic ball. And and so, if if they're runners on base, the runners don't get to advance or anything, right? No, no, oh, no. Okay. You just you stand there and yeah. look really, really sad. Actually, everyone just looks really, really confused every time there's a violation. <laughs> like, right. Yeah, like no sure. one's doing it on purpose, and I, I, also there uh, there's speed back in the game. The people are stealing bases. There's one change they will have to make. They're only allowed two pickoffs per at bat, and as some people have made this point. It's kind of like telling the the base runner like the snap count. Like if they do like two pickoff moves, like or like two also like when the pitch clock gets down to zero, like the runners just they know they can just take off. Uh. Like. They might have to allow more pickoff attempts because the stolen bases are going to like mushroom cloud. Wait, wait. So, so the pitcher's only allowed two attempts to pick off a runner at first, or yes, per at bat. Yes, really. Yeah. Now that that 
Okay, do I like that or do I hate it? Um, I think I like it because I want as many runs as possible. Yeah, I think everyone's just gonna like it, including me. And uh, but it, this is this is important. Uh, is it too much? Do you th- is it too much to say this is the shot clock uh, f- era of of MLB? It is, and it, I was a romanticist about like there's no clock, but yeah, it had just gotten like guess what, David Ortiz, those gloves are probably still pretty tight. <laughs> Um, well, no one was worse than uh, uh, Nomar Garcia Para, right? No, no. Every every player who's ever played for the Red Sox actually would they they would step out of the box fourteen oh, you're times. Right. Um, yeah, no, you're right. That's why those Yankees Red Sox games in the early two thousands would go until three o'clock in the morning, and, and still did because uh, uh, Kevin Millar had to had to take <laughs> a, 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 a three minutes between every pitch. They they would have to bring him an entirely new can of chaw between every <laughs> yeah. every pitch. Okay. Yeah. yeah, he had a lot of a lot of stuff going on there. A lot of stuff going on there. A lot of stuff going on with McCorkle Jones in New England, Denny. Um, yeah. they were pa- Patriots are apparently shopping him. Bill Belichick is quote, this is the real word, agitated with him. Yeah. Uh, because Mac Jones dare yell at him a admittedly an awful lot <laughs> last year. <laughs> it seemed pretty excessive, I thought, actually, by the young man. And it turns out Bill <laughs> Belichick noticed a lot. <laughs> a lot of yelling. Mm-hmm. I've actually never seen I've never seen a young quarterback uh, have so many tantrums on the field. And by that, I mean, obviously, we've seen Tom Brady have tantrums. We've seen Dan Marino back in the day, like John Elway to to an extent, uh, you know, but but they had earned their stripes. Right. So they, so once you get to a certain point as a quarterback, you can blame everybody else. Uh, you blame everybody but the head coach too. You, to have that many tantrums. And then have them clearly be directed to the coach, and for that coach to be Bill Belichick. Well, but he was no, but they were directed at Matt Patricia. I, I guess, but I mean, it's kind and of subtweeting Bill. Yeah. So, so uh, Mike Florio from Pro Football Talk said that the Patriots have shopped Mac Jones to several teams, including the Bucks, the Commanders, the Raiders, and the Texans. He said to pay particular attention to the Raiders, which would be a, a tremendous if. Mac Jones ended up there with Jimmy Garoppolo uh, and Brian Hoyer. And we're getting the band back together. That extremely our, our friend Ed Zitron on Twitter posted yeah. uh, Josh McDaniels has been like a raccoon going through Bill Belichick's trash and finding yeah. like his old that, players. And that's, that's not exactly wrong. Uh, it was reported earlier in the day by uh, Tom Curran from NBC sports that Belichick was quote agitated. Like you said, with Jones for his tantrums, and for seeking outside help in improving the struggling New England offense. Oh, that that's right. That's the cardinal sin with Bill. And it, it said uh, he said that that is that that lack of loyalty and going outside the building for help, <laughs> which is something, uh, is is seen by Belichick, Belichick according to uh, Curran, as uh, worse than bad play. Like it, it would be be better if you were just bad on the field, Mac. But you went out and you betrayed. Matt Patricia, the greatest offensive mind this generation has known. Uh, but I, I mean, but I think that that, that speaks. I, I will say, I'm not a Mac Jones defender by any means. I don't think that he's on a trajectory that that would put him in elite territory by any means. But I will say, a young guy like that being so desperate uh, for, to 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 rejuvenate an offense that was horrific for most of the year, for all of the year, really. I mean, I, I think that that speaks to his character and his desire to win. I like that. And he was also 
we can say what you will about Mac Jones, and I know you will always quote say what you will <laughs> about Mac Jones. Uh, he was good enough for the team to make the playoffs with yeah. as a rookie. He was good enough where if they had just won last week 18, they would have made the playoffs again. And this was with a supporting cast that was not good. And despite continually changing who the featured players were, like Bill Belichick can never, ever settle on a receiver rotation. And it was excessive, like the the histrionics on the field. Like there's no doubt about that. But like you said, he was just like desperate to be better and, and set up and – the most ludicrous experiment in modern NFL history of Matt Patricia coordinating the offense. I mean, just a ludic- patently ludicrous setup for way to run your offense. And Bill probably needs to give the young man a mulligan. And but I don't know. I mean, do you think? I, I feel like once like these fires start burning in New England, like it's it's usually like uh, it's already like a, a sealed deal. Like maybe Bill, or unless Bill's just like trying to scare him. I don't know what like the end game is to this though. He's not happy with him, that's for sure. I mean, when he was asked about Mac Jones last week at the owners' meetings, he said, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see if he starts. I don't know. Uh, I, I have to meet the kid first. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it, it, it sounded pretty cold to me. Uh, I mean, not that that's how he talked about Tom Brady until he was 45 years old. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, you're actually right about that. Uh, we'll, we'll get into Belichick in a second in your, in your coach rankings, but – yeah, I mean, I, I, Mac Jones was set up for failure last year from the get-go, and uh, I don't think that you can hold that against him. And again, look, he's he's asking, he's going outside the building saying, please tell me what to do to score more points and gain more yards because this is miserable. And it was miserable. They couldn't even get the plays in last year. It looked like they were conducting spring practice in the middle of November in New England. Man, if he ends up with the Raiders, that would just be the most hilarious possible oh, outcome to so many different people's lives. Yeah. So we're gonna have a classic, a classic mid-off between him yeah. and Jimmy Garoppolo. We are. Oh boy, will the mids be offing Jimmy <laughs> in Las Vegas, and you know, not not a good place for a mid-off either. They don't they don't stand a chance out there. Um, so gonna be a tough tough time. Uh, but yeah, it's the coach article, Denny. The coach rankings, where I, for some reason, rank the NFL coach. Not for some reason, it's a lot of fun. And I'm sure it is. I view it as like two. You have to rank. There has to be some sort of hook, and I, I take the ranking part seriously. But I also I want it to be more of like I hate this. This word is like so so. Uh, what's the word? I don't know. Sanctimonious or something. I, I like it to be like a compendium of just kind of like where the coaches are right now in their current situations. But I do genuinely try to rank. I think like the best coaches for 2023 are right. so they're all ranked. The the new hires are not ranked. So all the returning coaches are ranked. The new hires are thrown into their own separate batch. It's going to be live on the site Tuesday night. It is no joke. 7,000 words. Um, yeah. Very long. Lot. Very, very long. You know, but you know things. what? It's worth reading. And we're talking about 32 positions. So you should read good. the whole thing, but you can, you can control F and search who you want also too. Uh, so well, it's, you you can control F and decide how, who you're going to get mad about. That's true. That's, that's true. That, that's really it's it's a it's a it's a a, a lesson or an exercise in uh, in just uh, complete internet anger. Uh, yeah, I mean, man, Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg finally got the charges dropped against me for the Joe Judge ranking, um, it's, and, which I'm glad to hear. I was a pressurized, politicalized, politicalized <laughs> uh, situation. Also yes. Yeah, but they, they've they've been dropped. So thank goodness. 
So let's throw to you though, Denny, because you're going to ask me some questions. Yeah, I, I did have some questions. I, I read through it this morning and, and uh, obviously we can't get to every coach, but I wanted to, to start at the top. You have, you have Andy Reed uh, at, at the top. So uh, let me interrupt you imme- literally immediately. Okay. Because um, I've done the article since 2014, I think was the first year I did it. And this is the very first year where I've admitted defeat. And I don't have Bill Belichick in number one. Which, so. I mean, it's definitely, uh, I, I, I think, the right call. Um, so my question for you, and, and you, I, first I want to compliment uh, something you, um, you wrote about, about Andy Reid. You said, Andy Reid is one of the greatest coaches of all time in the middle of an imperial phase, showing no signs of slowing down. I just want to compliment you on that turn of phrase. Thank you, Denny. Uh, from one Raider to another. <laughs> and yeah, so he has Patrick Mahomes still in his prime, probably will be in his prime for the next, I don't know, three, four, five years. Um, and what? What? No, I'm talking what? about Mahomes. Yeah, I think it's going to be a little longer than that. Five five more years of, of prime Mahomes? Yeah, I'd say like six or seven at least probably. Okay. Well, anyways, I don't know. Sorry. Well, so so it, my question is, is there a scenario? Because you said, okay, Belichick's two, but Belichick is, in in your opinion, the greatest of all time. If you had to win a game on any given Sunday, you're giving it to Belichick. So is there a scenario where Andy Reid overtakes Bill Belichick as the greatest coach of all time over the next five, six, seven years? Wow. Man. (laughs) Not to get heavy. I actually – I had never thought about that. I honestly don't know because – Two, I mean, so much of it is about like PR and aura and like Belichick's aura, you know, formed very early in his career. And so did Andy Reid's. Like Andy Reid's has always been of like, this guy will score a million. It was never like of overall football genius, Andy yeah. Reid, you know, and where Bill Belichick got himself branded so early on as overall football genius. And I think with it'll probably just come down like as Wood always does the raw number of championships and that there's probably no way he's got four more in him, Andy Reed. Um, but I, I think if, I think more likely is that Andy Reed has made it unassailable that he's now the second best coach of the 21st century. You know, I, I'm kind of trying to avoid stuff like all time, even for Bill Belichick. I've tried to stop saying like greatest coach of all time. Sure. Cause all I really know is the 21st century. Of course. Okay. Yeah. And well, I think what is yeah much more likely and is and is happening is that Andy Reid is now unassailably the number two, and will be the guy who always gets mentioned immediately after Belichick. And he already was like the most commonly referenced guy right after Bill Belichick. But I mean, he still had to, he he still didn't even have more Super Bowls than like John Harbaugh or Mike Tomlin. So he's like just now got like that differentiator over a lot mm-hmm. of his like next closest competitors, where he finally has that second Super Bowl. And, I, and two, it might also just like serve it, in some weird way. Maybe it will just serve as like even further reinforcement of the Patriots' greatness. Like Andy Reid couldn't even get a second Super Bowl until Tom Brady, you know, basically was like finally retired. And oh man, I don't know if any of this even makes sense. But. No, no, I, I get it. What 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 I'm a- I'm asking you to please say yes because I I desperately don't want to call Bill Belichick the greatest coach of all time. No, he will be, and Bill Belichick will be too, though, because. He, I mean, he, you ain't cheating, you ain't winning. I mean, Bill, Bill Belichick is like the ultimate, like Daniel Plainview, where he <laughs> took it to the limit always. And yeah. you can question his methods and 
and should question his methods. <laughs> probably, but you got, say. but you got to hand it to him. You do have to hand it to him, and the results they uh, have spoken for themselves. And they've shattered many a dream, including mine when I was fifteen. And they cheated against the Rams. Yeah, they cheated, but it worked out because they won. It uh, did. But right. yeah, I mean, it is interesting. Sorry, I know you want to like. Where as Reed is getting older, his reputation is improving, and Belichick, you know, his is like finally taking on a little water. Um, it is a really interesting scenario, and where it's like you can't just say it's only about quarterbacks either, yeah. Because Andy Reed had so much success ever without ever having like a Tom Brady type quarterback. He had some really good quarterbacks. Donovan McNabb probably going to end up one of the more underrated quarterbacks of the 21st century. Like he had so much success without a Brady or Mahomes, and like now, like the Mahomes is basically like his just reward, basically for how good he was. Yeah, that's true. Whereas Bill Belichick is, you know, still trying to find his footing without his Brady. Uh, so it will get more fascinating and more muddled. Is basically what always happens. Everything just gets more and more muddled. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that happening. All right, on to Mike Tomlin, who you rank as the number four coach in this year's rankings. Last year he was number six. Now you say in this piece, you say. Tomlin has been on the job long enough that he has experienced weakness in every nook and cranny of the roster. There have been bad defensive years, bad offensive line years, the current bad quarterback years. It hasn't fallen apart because no one holds together a roster like Tomlin. Maybe uh, maybe he will need another Roethlisberger to take it back to the next level. That, uh, <clears throat> that it hasn't crumbled is a testament to elite coaching. Now, my question is, you 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 start the this coaching coach ranking piece by saying the new crop of coaches has officially taken over. Like they the new crop, uh, meaning the Shanahan and and uh, uh, McVeigh branches uh, of coaches, they have taken. They are they are the new norm. Okay? The Jim Crew coaches, yes. So that makes Tomlin. That makes Belichick. I guess to an extent, Andy Reid makes them dinosaurs. Um, uh, except for Reid is stands out as as someone who's willing to innovate, willing to do th- whatever it takes to score points. Tomlin is not that way. I, I, I was looking some stats, looking up some stats before the show, and uh, since the start of the 2020 season, the Steelers are 23rd in EPA per play. Um, the the bad offensive years. Now we're entering year four of of terrible offensive years we are is is there any indication that the game is passing by mike tomlin and what can he do about it is my question i don't think so because he's you know he's never been an innovator really he's always just been like mike tomlin comma football coach and that's kind of why i think he won't go out of style because he's kind of always been out of style and he's just like one of the only things that doesn't go out of style i guess though where he's you know, he's just a football coach. Like he's just like out there, like mastering like the finer details, and like is as good of a leader as humanly possible. Like there's no situation that throws him off. There's like no looks that throw him off at this point. As I say in the article, you know, no, like, no type of roster problem that will sink him. He's just everything has been thrown at him since 16 years, and he still has never once lost more games than he's won. Like that really is just incredible. It is. Yeah, I know they had Ben Ben Roethlisberger for a lot of that, and but even without Ben, yeah. Um, and I just don't think like a guy who's always just been like like marching to his own time, so to speak. Uh, I just think he'll like keep figuring it out. And 
but I do like he. It's clear, it's clear he needs another quarterback, but um, like that he he he's not gonna like ever just like like gut and guile his way to another Super Bowl. Like Super Bowls aren't possible if you don't have a high baseline, obviously. And like he just like Belichick, he keeps his baseline just so ridiculously high. But like and, and like Andy Reid, like. Basically, the roster is always – he's always going to be ready to, like, seize a Super Bowl window and opportunity as soon as, like, the right players are there, a.k.a. the right quarterback is there. Right, right. And, like, I just think he's he's keeping, like, basically the team on, like, a footing that, like, if that if that right player shows up, like, we'll be ready to go. And that's kind of, like, maybe all you can really ask for from a head coach because a, sure. a coach is never just going to win a Super Bowl on their own. So- yeah, and, and and I wanted to just just touch while we're on Tomlin. You 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 said in the piece, you said the league's old coaching guard has already lost the war. Even if there are still a few battles wrapping up, you can still have an attitude, but you also better have a plan better than just quote run the ball and play good defense. And my point is that that's Mike Tomlin's thing. That's what he. That's the only thing he ever says is we got to run the ball. We got to play good defense. There's never any mention of points or anything. He he punts on fourth and inches from the 50 yard line every time. It drives me nuts. That was also in a draft of the article that's been removed from the final. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually serious. <laughs> oh, well, well <laughs> you got a little, little behind the curtain. Um, yeah. You got a little behind the curtain there, but I, I just think, I maybe he's just like a classic in spite of himself. I just think he's like just too good of a coach. Like he's just too good. Like even if like he he makes things too complicated for himself, he makes things too annoying for the fans. Like like you're just not you're never gonna like out fundamental like Mike Tomlin. Like you're never gonna like surprise Mike Tomlin. I mean they were literally two and six with Mitch Trubisky and Kenny Pickett, and they still somehow finished nine and eight. I don't understand. Like, you, you just can't you can't throw the man off. And he's going to be the fourth, fifth, or sixth best coach in the NFL until he retires. That's where I have him ranked every single year. Was four, or five, or six? Just depends on what the year is. So yeah, and uh, one one spot above Tomlin, we have uh, Sean McVay, who's ranking all, in 2022 was also number three. So he stayed put. You mentioned in the piece about the Rams go for broke attitude. They haven't made a draft pick since you know 2010 kidding but you know uh you know it has been since 2016 yeah right constantly mortgaging uh the 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 future for the the present and uh they are now in what could be termed a rebuilding phase even though their quarterback is aged and they have really nobody on offense outside of cooper cup so we'll we'll see we'll see how that rebuild goes so looking at the stats again, and which is which is what I do, uh, the Rams since the start of the 2020 season are 22nd in EPA per play. So my question to you, Pat, is Sean McVay actually good? Uh, yeah, he is. And is what I think is frustrating, like especially for like analytics and stat-minded people like us, is it's like so many of the best coaches there. I guess we just almost have to accept there is something ineffable to it. And like, and really, I think it's what it comes down to is being like the, the, the people who are like, so like fanatically detail oriented. And as, as we've seen like Sean McVay going viral where he like literally remembers like every play that's like ever been run by his team or against his team. Like, I don't know how you compete with that. And like, it's easy to like, kind of like gawk at it as like some weird, 
like freak of nature attribute, but it's also just like, you know, it's like a stunning, stunning skill to have at like your, at your disposal. And that, I, I don't know how to even say any of this without sounding like I'm a 1950s football guy. Yeah. But like, <laughs> no, he's I mean, just another guy. Like you can't, like you're never going to come in unless you're Bill Belichick. You're not going to come into a game against the Rams and be the one who has a greater mastery of like the, the finer points of the game that day. It's like just not going to happen. And like it's it's annoying then like when you see them do things that are so negative EV, like clearly they shouldn't be doing, but they're just doing so many other things so well and really thinking about so many different problems you probably don't even realize exist and solving them. Mm-hmm. And like ways that we still don't understand. I mean, I'm making it sound like basically, yeah, we'll just never know. I just gotta accept the. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, I, I, I feel like uh, maybe McVeigh losing so much coaching talent over the years has taken its toll. It has taken a toll, but I mean, even last year, before he got hurt, like, well, Cooper Cup just wide open every single play yet again, huh? And you yeah. have to imagine that has something probably to do with Sean McVay. And last year too was just all about. McVeigh's roster building had finally curdled and he finally had like just done, like I said, in the P like too much charge card living where I think he overestimated his ability to like keep remaking the roster on the fly. But like, as long as he has like enough, t- I mean, the 2017 Rams team he had his first team wasn't really that talented of a team. And he immediately went 11 and five. Like if he, if he just has like a reasonable amount of talent. I, mean, I think he's like instantly winning like at the absolute minimum nine to 10 games and probably usually like 11 to 12. And then we just have to accept that he knows more about football than yeah, we ever sure. possibly yeah, I, I, I do agree with that part. Uh, I, I will say that the team building part, I, I tend to um, question when Ben Skoranek is your wide receiver too. Uh, and that's what I'm different. saying. McVay could, that's where so many of these guys get tripped up too as the team. But I mean, even Bill Belichick, just like, even the guy, like, letting yourself get tripped up by just not having an offensive coordinator, it's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. And, and also, I, I, I will say, um, the, you know, the Allen Robinson signing seems to me, I was, I was all about it. I, I thought it was a great, a great signing. That, that was, uh, kind of low key, uh, a disastrous signing for a Rams offense that desperately needed a second pass catching option. And, and we saw what they could do with one when OBJ played for them for a cup of coffee in their Super Bowl run. And they, you know, they were, I don't want to say unstoppable, but they, it was an elite offense with Cooper cup, not being the absolute focal point of every defender on, on the field. So I think that kind of tanked them offensively last year. Uh, Allen Robinson's underperformance. Hopefully, they can get you know get someone someone who can function as a reasonable, a viable wide receiver too. I think one thing, by the way, that's kind of made the Rams look more negative EV than they probably actually are too, is that especially like in 2021, like when they started going super run heavy. I really think it was just McVay like understanding his roster more than we did. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm talking about the Super Bowl winning year. We're just like, like, yeah, I can't keep letting Matthew Stafford throw three picks every game. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and two for a touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah. I just think that he he's willing to do like the unglamorous work of winning football games. Today. Yeah. He's a football guy, even though he's our age and not our big. age, please. I'm like six years old. That's, that's right. He's a lot younger than you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. All right, we're gonna go. We're gonna go down the ranks here to all the way to number nineteen, 
And I'll just say that you have Kevin O'Connell, who went 13 and four in the regular season last year in his first year in Minnesota, ranked 19th. Explain yourself. I mean, Kevin O'Connell is a really, really weird one. Like the Vikings are really, really weird one. And so first off, it's try to, it's like, you can't overreact too much after one year, you know? And like, I try to not ever come in, like, even if like a rookie coach goes like 12 and four, a lot of times you can't, you can't just necessarily like jam them into like the top 10 or 12, you know? And so that, that's part of it. Another part is, there were a bunch of rookie head coaches that came in and were not only good, but like made the playoffs last year. As we know, Mike McDaniel made the playoffs. Brian Dable, of course, made the playoffs. And Brian Dable, probably in the most challenging situation of any of those three. So I gave him like the highest rookie head coach ranking. Even that was, quote, only 14. And then the Vikings, though, so I, I definitely obviously do not think Kevin O'Connell did a bad job. But when you look at the like look under the hood a little bit, um, this is not a joke. The Viking, with the exception of like a point or two difference, that was it. They scored as many points as they did in 2021 yes. under Mike Zimmer, and allowed as many points as they did in 2021 <laughs> under Mike Zimmer. So there's literally no difference at all in the <sighs> scoring outputs and inputs by the Vikings. And yet somehow they went from eight and nine to 13 and four. And so I was like, yeah, there's some real randomness and variance at play here with the Vikings. And like, it's kind of just like me, like giving pause. Like, I don't really know what I just witnessed. I know that it wasn't bad, but I don't know how good <laughs> it <actually> was, <laughs> you know? And like, you I do, to- he did come in, you know, his, his like assignment, was you know to have a better offense and on one hand he didn't do that because again they scored literally the same amount of points they did greatly improve in epa or i think they went from like 25th i have it in the article the exact stat but they went from 25th oh, they went from 25th to eighth an offensive success rate so you know better play sequencing better play calling their mission accomplished there but it's just yeah really tough to say what we actually witnessed with the 2022 vikings so i'm just like Right. Take a minute to figure out what's actually going on here. So we, we kind of got the sense that the Vikings were fraudulent, even as they were winning a bunch of games, uh, or especially early in the 2022 season. And it turns out we, we were right because we have the Vikings, uh, their point differential on the season was minus three. Okay. They were outscored by three points and that's, that's in line with the saints. Okay. That's that's worse than the Patriots, who didn't even make the postseason. Uh, worse than the Ravens without Lamar Jackson for the final month and a half of the regular season. So it's it's not good. It's, it, it, it wasn't good. And the fact that they didn't score more points than they did with Mike Zimmer, who hated offense, like who like did anything he could not to score points, and like you know uh, was of the mindset like like if we if we give up more than twenty one points. We deserve to lose. That was sort of the mindset of the Mike Zimmer years. Uh, the fact that they didn't score more points, I think, I think is is concerning. Uh, but it is it's hard to say. It's hard to say that that O'Connell didn't do a uh, at least a good job. Yeah, yeah, with, yeah. With a thirteen and four record in a in a division that you know I know there's the pushover Bears. The Lions were good. The Packers were kind of okay. 
I, I, I do think that he does do, deserve some credit. And I say this as someone who's very skeptical of O'Connell long term. Yeah, I, it's just kind of honestly a placeholder rank. And because I'm just like going to need more information, man, on that one. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. uh, I don't understand what I just saw. <laughs> uh, you uh, Going further down uh, the ranks here, um, 27 is the lowest for uh, is, coaches. Denny. For, for, for what did you say? I said it is, Denny. For, I mean, for, for coaches who are not incoming, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 27 equals dead last in this year's rankings. And you had, uh, you had your guy, Josh McDaniel, this 27. But you had Dennis Allen at 26. And I... I would. I read both of those uh, items that you that you wrote he, uh, on Allen on McDaniel's. I pr- probably would have put Allen below McDaniel's because I I, th- I think I think Dennis Allen is so uninterested in improving his performance as a coach and, <laughs> and that like McDaniel's at least is a tryhard it seems like, but Dennis Dennis Allen just seems in the clouds like. Like like we're we're good winning seven games, eight games. We're fine with this. This is good, and uh, even the way he talks in the off season, it's amazing. It's amazing. Anyway, I, I I think the Saints are just stuck in mud right now with him. I understand that McDaniel's is terrible, but I would have put Allen one peg below McDaniel's. Tell tell me tell me why you went in this direction. I I don't. I hadn't thought about any particular reason. I mean. With Josh McDaniels, I guess that he's just like so loud and proud about being Josh yeah, McDaniels. That's, that's, that's probably true. like in in my mind, it's like being punitive, and but I, it's it's all it, Josh McDaniels though. Those kind of guys, they just always flame out, you know. Like the my way or the highway guys, like it just doesn't work, and I mean, especially like if you're just not that good, like right. it, it, it can still work, like if you're like Sean Payton, but like Josh McDaniels now, I mean like the data set outside from Bill Belichick is pretty large and it just hasn't had success at any of those stops. And yet just seems totally uninterspective. Like he's just not changing the way he does it. Like immediately you know, one season in, like all of his moves have made it clear that he doesn't think the blame lays with him. Like it was the players, you know, it's that, that evil Derek Carr. And like, to be fair, as we know, be a perfectly reasonable coaching opinion to like, yeah, I got to get rid of Derek Carr. Like I, I can't win with Derek Carr, but then to do it and then just make it be the only one of the only quarterbacks less inspiring than Derek Carr and Jimmy Garoppolo. And like, clearly just because he coached him at one point in the past, like nothing is more emblematic, like of a lack of coaching imagination and like it, and Dennis Allen, I guess I would say at least I know for a fact takes care of the business on his side of the ball where he's been back in New Orleans since 2014 and they finished outside of the top 10 as a scoring defense only one time. So he at least takes care of the business on his side of the ball. Yeah. Whereas like the second Josh McDaniels is away from Bill Belichick, he doesn't even have good offenses. You, you so. mentioned this in the piece and it's, it's uh, something that you you've talked about on the show a couple of times, but I, I thought this is really well put. You talked about, you, you wrote this of Josh McDaniels. He seems to resent anyone who had the audacity to be successful before he got there. And the ultimate team sport McDaniels isn't making any friends. It has left him with a paucity of victories and little hope for a franchise that keeps swinging big at head coach only to strike out. And I, I, it is a, it is a really weird unexplainable phenomenon for a coach to be so mad about players 
who were good before he got there. And this is the second time he's done this as a head coach is to say, basically like, well, I don't even know what the, what the thinking is. Like, how dare you, how, how dare you be good without me? Like you, you, you're out. I don't, I don't understand. You know, and, it, is, and, it is really strange. And I guess it's gotta be like, uh, like whatever. They're, they're not going to do it my way. Cause they think they're good. And like, maybe you know, I was I mean, I you know, like, like these guys can't be on their own program. They've got to be on the McDaniels program. And Darren Waller's like, can I just have 850 yards, please? Like I yeah. always do. And yeah, it's a very, very, it's, again, he's doing the exact same thing he did in Denver where he's sending anyone packing that resembled a star uh, before he was there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I think we joked on a recent show about, you know, when you go to prison, you find the biggest guy, you take him out. Like that's kind of what's happening here. No, it, it always and is. That's what who taught this to Josh McDaniels? Like Belichick didn't teach it. Didn't teach this to him. Belichick likes good players. He 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 makes uh, any and all efforts to uh, uh, get good players and makes really them. poor decisions related to good players. Bill Belichick. What do you mean? Like yeah, I mean like he'll like go out of his way to add like, oh, yeah. like star power to his yeah. roster. Yeah, like like right. I mean, when uh, when Randy Moss was was available and and team said no thanks, he's he's locker room issues this and that. Belichick said, "Come on, come on," and look what happened. So, anyway, I I, I don't know who taught this to McDaniel's, but it, it it is a formula that can never work, and it's it and it's also it's painfully obvious, I think, to us and and to anybody observing the Raiders that he's on his way out. Uh, there's a, probably a pretty good chance that he'll be axed this seat during the season um if they, not they might, they might own too much money to do that but if not ju- just after the season like there, there's there's no hope i i think for this plan for josh McCain. that's the thing even if he is a good coach like you can you can kind of like feel confident ranking him last like because this isn't why i did it but there's just no hope with this quarterback in this division like there's no hope whatsoever that the situation's improving and so yeah. real quick, we have to take a real quick, quick break, Denny. Okay. Uh, we'll be back after this. Every season is draft season. Get your Roto World Draft Guide bundle today and dominate your football, baseball, and basketball drafts packed with profiles, rankings, projections. Order today and get all three Roto World Draft Guides for the price of two. Plus use promo code Barry and save an extra 20% at checkout. That is promo code Barry for an extra 20% off at checkout. And don't forget... Download the Rotor World app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players in your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, 
It's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Am I still in the hot seat? Or do yes, I need to put you on the hot seat for a minute? Yeah, you go ahead. You, you, you put me on the seat that is hot. Well, so one thing I struggle with every year and you don't have to go long on these. Every year I struggle, like, what's the difference between Tomlin and Harbaugh? Like, they're, like, the same guys. They're, like, the overall team builders. They're the guy who just kind of, like, always, like, better than they seem like they should be. Harbaugh's a little different where Harbaugh does, like, kind of innovate more than Tomlin, where he, he's, like, into EPA decision – EPA-based, like, decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he embraced the dual-threat quarterback – but uh, I, every year with, with Harbaugh and Tomlin, I'm like, yeah, they're two of the five or six best coaches in the NFL. And, like, whether I have them, like, five or six this, that year just kind of, like, depends on how I'm feeling that day, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it's close. I think they're vastly different coaches. Uh, uh, Harbaugh, wh- whereas Mike Tomlin, like I said, is is punting fourth and inches from the 50-yard line in, in a uh, tie game in the fourth quarter, Harbaugh is going for two you know, uh, late in the game, uh, to, to, to win the thing. Okay. Like he, he is not messing around with the analytics. Um, he seems to really trust that sort of analytically guided base, whatever decision-making I like that myself. Uh, generally it hasn't really worked. So he has uh, two playoff victories in the past 10 years. Exactly. So it is, it's hard to say like, Oh, well this approach is working because the results are not really there. It's, it's hard to judge that way in football because the, 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 the sample size is so limited, right? I mean, we're, we're not, it's not baseball. It's not basketball where you have a game every day. And if you use analytic, if you, if you do use an analytically guided approach, eventually you'll, you're going to see some results sprout up, but it's not that way with football. So I do think that you have, you have, Harbaugh should get credit for being willing to evolve and change with the times and with the game um, where I, you know, Tom, Tomlin is, is very upfront about it. I'm not reading into it at all. Like it, we play this way. We've always played this way. We will always play this way. And, um, and so it's just two completely different coaches. Yeah. I guess maybe like innovation versus execution. I don't even know. Cause Harbaugh likes, I'm sure he likes to execute too. Uh, so I'm sure he would I like think they're up. just two very good coaches who like it can be easy to get down on them. Like when you have such a humongous sample, like in terms of like football, they have humongous sample sizes at this point. And when you've been around long enough, you're always going to have holes in your resume. Like Andy Reid did one Super Bowl in 25 years, you know, and like John Harbaugh. Yeah. Again, two, two playoff victories in 10 years. Mike Tomlin hasn't won a playoff game in six years, but yet they're still good every year. And like, it's almost like they're kind of victims of their own success where they've, they've lived long enough to not become the villain, but just to have average seasons, I guess. Yeah. But I haven't seen any indication that either of them are really falling off. Uh, where do you f- fall on McVeigh versus Kyle Shanahan, Denny? Uh, I know that 
the Shanahan stuff drives you nuts sometimes. And it does, it does me as well. And I think Shanahan could be way, way more aggressive as a coach. Uh, that would be great to see because I think he, he tends to hold his team back with very conservative uh, decision-making, not, not necessarily play calling, but the, the punting and the kicking and the, and the, the, the goal to go situations. Okay. Um, saying that I, I, I have to lean, I have to lean Shanahan. Yeah. I have to lean Shanahan because that, I mean, his offense, however run heavy it is, however conservative it is with the dump, with the dump offs, with the, you know, not really throwing it deep, not being aggressive with, with pass rate over expected, whatever. I mean, it, it just churns out points, man. Like that, that it just eats up defenses. You cannot say the same thing about McVay's offense in recent seasons. I think you can say the same thing about McVay's offense with the humongous exception of 2022. And I just think a big difference is like McVay's offense, I think changes a lot more. And like McVay is kind of much more about like, who, who, who do I have this year? Like at my disposal. Cause like we've seen him be like a three down back guy. Then we've seen him become like a committee back guy. We've seen him have deep receiver cores. We've seen him have a receiver core where one guy catch passes and he's just kind of doing it like whatever way it works that year. Like basically he doesn't have like his offense branded as well as Shanahan's, which is always me like the zone blocking, the dominant rushing attacks, like the really like carefully coordinated passing attacks where like, the Shanahan system is like so precise and so well branded, whereas the McVeigh system is kind of like whatever's going to score him points that year. I think maybe he doesn't get quite as much credit as he deserves for still maybe. being like like a true offensive mastermind. If and the results, of course, also speak for themselves. The expected points added situation is problematic, I think, for McVeigh over Shanahan. Uh, since the start of the 2019 season, the 49ers are fifth in EPA per play. The uh, Rams are 20th. Uh, I, I, I just I respect Shanahan's ability to do it year after year with an offensive system that never really changes all that much. Like people know what's coming and they can't stop it. I'll also say I love these models and I cite these models all the time. There are also some things these models just don't account for, can't know, and. Like Sean McVay, I'm assuming is better, has been better than 20th when it comes to like creating uh, points that that were not expected in the NFL. Like I know the model said, but like uh, you know what I mean. Am I right, folks? No. <laughs> I, I, I I tend to be a little bit more down on McVay than I guess than than most, but uh, yeah, I would I would go with Shane. Any other questions for me? How much credit does Zach Taylor deserve for the Bengals? Because I only have him 12th. Yeah, and like he is a guy who just went to a Super Bowl, and then and then he lost the Super Bowl. But instead of having like the usual hangover, like just got a lot better the following season, and came so close to going back to the Super Bowl. Like I don't understand why I couldn't get him into the top ten necessarily, and it's kind of because it's it seems like it's Joe Burrow and Luana Rumo, but I feel like Zach Taylor is also kind of like has like found where he fits in with his team and knows to stay out of Burrow's way, knows to stay out of Anna Rumo's way, but it's kind of become like a fiery leader type and has like finally like hit upon the right kind of offense. Yeah. How, how much credit does Zach Taylor deserve for the Bengals success? I, I think 12th, 12th is about right. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I, who do you have right above him? You have, um, 
Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll. Yeah, D- Doug Peterson. I, I I might quibble with Peterson above above Taylor a little bit, but yeah, I mean Taylor. It's it does just seem like it's it's pretty hard to fail with Joe Burrow under center um, because he's so efficient as a passer and he has really good receivers. The be- the the best receiver duo in the in the entire NFL, uh, in my humble opinion. Uh, so I, I I don't know if you can give all the credit to Zach Taylor. I will credit him for this. Uh, it did look a little hangovery at the start of the 2022 season after losing the Super Bowl. It looked like a typical, like, we lost the Super Bowl. We're going to miss the playoffs. People are going to say, well, Zach Taylor needs to go, this and that. I think I, I said on the show one time, Uh-oh. the Bengals should have fired Zach Taylor, <laughs> 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 which is probably premature on my part. I will, I will admit that. Uh, what a what a move that would have been. Uh, but uh, uh, so what he did was he stopped having Burrow under center completely in the middle of last year, or, or like week five, week six. So no more under center stuff. All shotgun, all passing, all the time. That's and he deserves credit for that. Like like that's where the strength of his team is. He has a a very middling, very replaceable running back and Joe Mixon uh, and Samaj P Ryan like. You know, they, they, he knew where his strength was, and he gravitated toward it, and they almost got to another Super Bowl. A few more questions. We're, we're going to get out of here in just a minute, though. We talked about, like, the big wave of rookie coaching success in 2010. And part of that was because there were 10 rookie head coaches in 2022. Like, some of these guys are going to have to make the playoffs. Like, last year was just insane with the turnover. Uh, so, Brian Dable, Mike McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell – they were the most successful. All of it, could, with all three of them, there are you know, big-time question marks about how sustainable it might actually be. But of Dable, of McDaniel, of O'Connell, who do you think is most likely to like keep it going in 2023? I mean, I I guess I, I would say Dable because he got it done last year with Daniel Jones. Like yeah. that's, and, and no receivers. Like if they, if they can improve the pass catching group there, uh, make Daniel Jones a little bit better than he was last year. Uh, yeah. I hate to break it to giants fans, uh, but Daniel Jones wasn't good last year. Um, and they say, well, oh, well, he's a top 10 fantasy quarterback. So what? So what? I mean, there are lots of top 10 fantasy quarterbacks who stink. Like, come on. I don't, I don't understand that argument at all. I wrote about Daniel Jones recently, and I got a bunch of pushback about, oh, Daniel Jones is good. But no, he's not good. But Dable got it done with with uh, Daniel Jones. He's going to have to do it again and again and again probably uh, with that, that contract that, that Jones signed. Uh, and Dable just seems to have a control of the Giants that – is is rare i think and and the and the you know despite john mara's comments about he could go from bono to bozo recently i do think that ownership is behind him and and will support him however he wants to run this team i i i feel like mcdaniel the way that that he runs things i i like him a lot very personable i want to be his friend okay like like i'll I'll say all that Uh but the way he runs things the way he's a little risk takey right I feel like that could backfire in the end. And he's he, a little loosey goosey. It could be a little Brandon Staley-ish going forward for him. He's a little loosey goosey. I do think though that he's proven like that he can do this. Like he can manage and manipulate an offense. Like his scheme. 
yeah. plays, even though, I mean, they took away the middle of the field stuff. That was an interesting narrative. Yeah. Uh, but I think like, he's looking like he could be one of the rare coaches who is like almost like scheme. Like the scheme is going to elevate everyone who's in it. And like the quarterback's important, but the quarterback's not going to be the end all be all just like it is under his old boss, Kyle Shanahan. And I have pretty high hopes still for Mike McDaniel, but Dable, yeah, Dable has just what every coach dreams of, and where he's as good of a leader as he is, like like offensive play designer, basically. And Dable definitely seems to be the most tailor made for long term success out of that twenty twenty two crop. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of indication. I won't get, I won't bore the listeners with the numbers, but there's a lot of indication that if Tua had stayed healthy and under center throughout last year, that the Dolphins would have led the NFL in EPA per play. Okay, and, and they almost won a playoff game in Buffalo with Skylar Thompson, um, lest we forget. Yeah, it, that's a great point that I had kind of forgotten, and that was one of the more miraculous coaching jobs I've seen in in, in recent, I don't know, the five years, ten years. So. Yeah, I, I I think that this this Dolphins offense could be like freaky good if uh, Tua can stay can stay healthy. Hopefully, he's okay with the the, the brain injuries over uh, throughout throughout last year. Uh, but I, I will side with Dable just a little bit over McDaniel. Final question: Who is likely most likely to be this year's Dable out of John Gannon, Sean Payton? <laughs> I mean, Sean Payton's not going to be Brian Dable. Uh, let's say throwing out Frank Reich and Sean Payton yeah. of John Gannon, of D'Amico Ryans, of Shane Steichen. Who's the Brian Dable lurking in the weeds? D'Amico Ryans, folks. It's D'Amico Ryans. And I I think that that was a great hire. And I think uh, if you if you read D'Amico Ryans' quotes, I mean, there's nothing like jarring or – or really stunning that comes out of uh, D'Amico Ryan's in these pressers. But what's clear is he's going to offload the, the, the offensive stuff to his offensive guys. He's not going to try to, as a defensive guy, as a guy with a defensive background, he's not going to try to dictate every single thing that happens on the field at all times. And I think that that, that is a, a pitfall of new head coaches who said, well, I'm the head coach. I do it all. No, I think that he he clearly understands that if if he's going to have success in Houston, he's going to need help on the offensive side. He he, he they've hired they've hired a bunch of offensive or, or analytically minded uh, uh, offensive guys, including the new offensive coordinator PFF Bobby. So I I love it. I love what they're doing in Houston. I think that you know for fantasy purposes, I'm I'm not not excited about the Texans, depending on who they land a quarterback. And I just also think, like, when you're hiring these new coaches, like, you, you, a lot of the other people basically do the work for you. And, like, you just basically have to trust, like, the coach that, that like, these guys were working for before, like, knew what they were doing. And, like, and, like with Sean McVay and Kyle Shanahan, it has been proven over and over again in, like, the past four or five years, like – the guys they're hiring aren't just having success because their systems are so good. They're having success because they themselves are also good. And like McVeigh and Shanahan's eye for talent has just been like off the charts. And Shanahan now, this is like offensive mind extraordinaire Kyle Shanahan's second straight defensive coordinator to get hired. And part of that is they're like crazy personnel they've had. 
of course, on defense. But Shanahan just seems to have a ridiculous eye for coaching talent. Yeah. And, like, when you don't know what you're doing, hiring head coaches and the Houston Texans who would hire David Culley and Lovey Smith back-to-back, can be safe to say didn't know what they were doing. I honestly think it was a smart thing. Just like, whatever, just hire someone from the Kyle Shanahan thing. Like, this guy knows what he's doing when he's hiring people. We don't. We're going to try to hire someone that he already has gotten his seal of approval. And it just seems like a very, very smart decision that they made. Right. I think if you can combine, D'Amico Ryans coached the best defense in the NFL last year, according to several metrics. Okay. If you can combine a really good defense with a functional offense that, you know, not, not fancy, but score some points, gain some yards when they have to. I think that you have the formula for for a potential. I don't want to say playoff team, but maybe maybe a playoff curious team. We'll see. Well, in that division, especially too. I mean, even the Jaguars could really easily come back down to earth in twenty twenty three. The AFC South is completely up for grabs. So, yeah. and also there's there's less runway to be Brian Dable in a coaching field that has only five as opposed to ten. Um, so we might not get any like breakout stars this year. But yeah, it's it's a pretty intriguing overall group. It's an intriguing overall show, Denny. Um, yeah, and and please, folks, check so, out uh, Pat's rankings. That'll be they'll be on NBCSportsEdge.com Tuesday evening. Uh, well worth the read. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Denny. Yeah, I uh, spent probably some would argue NBC lawyers would argue too much time. Yeah, <laughs> but um, and they were over your shoulder the whole time. They, yeah, they were. They were removing words. I <laughs> can't say that. Um, <laughs> Yeah, don't no, don't put that in there. Like Josh McDaniels is very litigious. All right, right. You can't make fun of Sean McVay's broad shoulders, Pat. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, yeah, they went through it line by line, and it was to their liking. So yeah, please check it out. It's going live on the site late Tuesday evening for your Wednesday morning commute. Uh, so for Denny Carter, I am Patrick Darty. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back Thursday. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 